What's better than listening to the 430 movie? Seeing it recorded in front of a live audience. Join us this year at WonderCon, where your favorite 430 movie hosts will record Walt Disney Week live in Anaheim. We hope to see you there at WonderCon. If you're a fan of the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, then you'll love seeing your favorite Inglorious Trexperts hosts live at WonderCon. Join us for a very special guest as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Trek V as we record a live episode of Inglorious Trexperts. You heard right, Star Trek V. We all hide a secret pain. See you there. Hey, welcome to The Best Movies Never Made, a journey into the world of unproduced films. Joining me today is my co-host, Josh Miller. Hey, Steve. How you doing? My name is Steven Scarlatta, and joining us today is Mr. William Malone. Hi, how you doing there? Doing good. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Thank you. Today we'll be discussing uh, one of William Malone's projects, uh, Dead Star. And um, yes, so let's, let's start off with... Um, well, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit, um, some context on it, on what you'd been doing leading up to this film? Well, actually, at that point, I, I'd just been, I'd already made a movie called Creature, which was basically an alien ripoff movie, which was 1985. And then I was uh, out of work for a long time. And then I started working on a show called uh, uh, Freddy's Nightmares, which was one of those shows that ran at two o'clock in the morning or something. And uh, but at that time, I thought, you know, I really need to write a screenplay for something that would, uh, you know, I could use as a calling card. So I wrote uh, Dead Star at that time. So, And what was kind of going on in your brain? Like, why was that the project that you chose as your calling card? Well, I mean, when I, back in the mid-70s, I was at a science fiction convention, and I came across a book called The Necronomicon by H.R. Giger, and it was just on a pile of books. This is before Alien had ever come out, probably, this is, I think, probably 1976. But I picked that up, and my mind was blown, and I went, wow, this is great stuff, whatever this, whoever this guy is. And I was going to ask, how famous was he internationally not at that at all point? At yeah. that time. Yeah, not, nobody had ever heard of this guy. And, and uh, like I said, I bought the book, and I remember just, I sat it on the floor, and I remember like for two days doing nothing, but just like looking at every picture in there going, wow, this is great stuff. And... Um, you know, so then a few years later, Alien got made, and uh, it was no surprise to me wh- what the alien looked like because they said they pulled it out of the book, and there was really only one image that you could use as a monster for a movie because the rest of the stuff's so weird. And um, but anyway, uh, uh, so I was sort of fired up to wanted to do something with Giger, and uh, you know, so I, I wrote the screenplay to you know hopefully be able to get him on board, and fortunately, that's what happened. Oh, right on, and so yeah, so and so at that point you finished the script, and what happened from there with it? Well, I took the script out, and and we had a bidding war for a very short period of time, and then it just as those things like a bubble and burst, and it went away, and uh, so the film actually I just sort of put it on the back burner, and um, and then later I think it was probably about nineteen. 
uh, like a, maybe two years later, I had gotten a call from a guy who said, you know, that they were interested in doing a film. It was actually one of the producers who I'd worked with on Creature. And they said, you know, that they'd heard about the script and they wanted to look at it. And and so I gave it to them. And then we sort of got into pre-production on it at, at that point. And we hired H.R. Giger and, uh, you know, I flew to Zurich, which was pretty amazing. Like and, stayed at his house or were you uh, a hotel? no, I stayed. I stayed at a hotel, but uh, I was at his house every day for I don't know. It was about ten days and stuff, which was pretty amazing. And what is? I mean, I like to imagine he almost had a Guillermo del Toro style home that was just full of all. I, of his I think it was weird weirder stuff. than. Yeah. I think it was weirder than. Did it Guillermo's look like house? the inside of an alien spaceship? <laughs> no, actually, what it was, I'll, I'll tell you, it was it was very uh, unusual. He his entire place was painted black. All the walls were painted black, and he had his his. It was um, a series of flats that he'd probably taken out the walls in between and made it into one giant flat uh, where he was staying. And, and um, number five, Gubernakastrasse. I still remember. Anyway, <laughs> Wait, that uh, was his address. That was his address, in case you're wondering. Uh, but it was, um, he had his painting stacked about five, six deep against the wall. So he never sold his paintings. He'd kept everything and he'd only given away maybe. Uh, maybe a couple paintings in his it, while he was alive, at least at that point, anyway. And um, and I remember actually walking around the place, just being totally amazed by it. And, it was a, and all of his paintings were huge. There, I mean, they were like probably the size of this movie screen behind us. There was probably six feet by eight feet was like the smallest ones. You know, they were huge. And um, and I remember walking by one of them, and I saw some holes in it. And I said, I said, and it was stained and stuff. I said, Giger, somebody uh, spilled some or put damaged your painting. And he goes, Oh no, that's from my girlfriend. She blew her brains out. <laughs> and it turns out, yes, his girlfriend Lee shot herself in front of the painting, and he left the bullet holes in her blood in the painting. And wow, yeah, that's that, that was dark. that was yeah, that was Giger. <laughs> wow. Um. <laughs> well, maybe we should pause for a second. <laughs> Boy, on, I got a funny Giger story. You want, you want to hear a funny Giger yes, story? Yes, I very much okay. do. We'll, we'll go to the opposite end. I mean, that was here. funny in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> Giger decided to take me to a biker bar while I was there. Now, this is Switzerland, Zurich, right? So what's a Swiss biker bar like? I went, this is going to be yeah. weird. So we went into Zurich, and there, and there was this like kind of low-slung building, and, and it's what you'd expect, a zillion hogs parked out front, you know. And we went inside, and it's all these guys, you know, looking very tough, you know, with piercings and chains and, you know, and stuff. And I overheard them talking, and they were speaking in English, and I said, I said, Giger, why, why are they speaking in English? He goes, oh, well, it's, it's considered to be cool if you speak English. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. Yeah, and I, I got li- it made. I'm listening to these guys, and this is, I swear to God, this is the conversation. It goes, Hans, I think we should, like, go and buy some spray paint and spray paint the, the name of our club on the sides of some buildings. And the other guy goes, yeah, this is a good idea, but let's check with the police first and make sure this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> Swiss bikers. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, I was going to say, pause, maybe take a step back, uh, and let's talk about what the film was. Like, can you explain, or Steve, do you want to explain? Well, let's see. Do you do you know the plot offhand? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the, been a while. The, well, the plot, yeah. yes, it's actually been quite some time, but the, the plot uh, initially, my idea was, um, I thought, you know, if you took the movie um, uh, Dead Calm, 
and reset it in space. I just said that'd make a really cool movie. So that was the premise that I started out with, and I, I took well, for the audience. Dead Calm. That was with uh, uh, Sam Neill. Yeah, and and uh, um, Billy Nicole Zane. Kidman. Nicole Kidman. That was her first. Yeah, role, big role. Yeah. Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman are husband and wife, and they're sailing out in the ocean, On a boat. and they stumble upon Billy Zane. Who's well, like, Billy Zane comes comes uh, he's swimming, like floating, uh, floating over to him or something. Yeah, and then and, he turns out to be uh, a somewhat dubious. Individual <laughs> yes. lying about what happened to him. Exactly, and so I thought, well, that'd make a good science fiction film. So, so I basically restructured it, and um, I said, well, what's the premise of it? And I thought, well, what if death wasn't like, um, you know, just some place you could go when you die? Maybe it's also, or, you know, like, or maybe hell is like a real place that you can get to, like in another dimension. Maybe it's actually another dimension. I thought, what if some aliens had created a machine capable of sending you to hell? And so that was the premise. And the idea was that they find, um, our heroes find this, um, actually they're going to rescue a ship that had disappeared uh, years earlier. And it, um, uh, and they had found this device, this alien device. And in our story, we see this sort of spaceship coming towards our heroes, and he, this guy's got this device on this, on board and so forth. And um, that was the premise of it, really. And once they get there, of course, the device is not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. I was going to say, paint a little picture, too, of uh, how big was the movie? Like, what did you kind of see the scope of it being? Well, initially, it was it was done with, uh, with this company, um, Imperial Entertainment, was uh, uh, Sunil Shah and his group. And it was originally going to be, we were going to make it for like four or five million dollars. And then they kept asking me to make it bigger. And this, I was a little hesitant because I know what happens, you know, particularly at that point, because I, I hadn't, didn't have any big credits. And I know if you start writing something bigger and bigger, eventually they're going to bump you. They're going to say, thanks, good script, see you later. We'll, yeah. get, a, we'll get a real director, you know, and... Uh, and that's had that happened to you personally, or you just knew? That I that knew was how it from happening worked. to other people. Yeah. yeah, that that's that's the way that went, you know. And uh, so, uh, but you know, I kept writing bigger and bigger scripts, you know. And it was going to be like at some point, like a twenty, thirty million dollar movie for an independent. That was huge at that time. And uh, yeah, and and then as I suspected, it just sort of all blew up, and you know, I had to walk away. And then. Uh, years later, I, I was doing House on Haunted Hill, and of course, anything, if you have a big movie, anything you've written before suddenly becomes hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. Well, actually, we'll we'll get to that, but let's go backwards a few, back to Giger. So, when you were hanging out with him, what were you guys working on together? Well, we were working on all the designs for the film. I mean, you know, there was a lot of stuff to design. You know, the, there was the alien device, and then... Uh, and in the story, Satan actually shows up, you know, and so I asked Giger to, you know, actually create an image of Satan, which he had never actually done. And uh, so he actually had a real good time with that. Giger, when you sat down and worked with him, he was a really interesting character because he, he'd have us pad of paper that was, wasn't very big, but it was in a sketch, a, a, a sketch pad and, and, and pen, and he'd just start drawing. And he drew so fast, and he'd be flipping the pages, and you'd go, you'd have to go, stop, no, stop there, that was great, you know. Yeah. He'd, he'd just be <laughs> onto the next drawing, you know, and and he just went on and on and on, which I I uh, I think I sent you or showed you some of the um, the pictures there, some of the stuff he'd sketched. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll take some 
photos or scans of the stuff you gave us to post online too so people can get a look at it for yeah, context I, yeah because especially the 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 satan design giger created is amazing it's like it's terrifying and um it's like next level like seeing that in a movie would have been like yeah it was somewhere between like hellraiser and tim carrey's character from <laughs> legend it's pretty cool absolutely yeah <laughs> well you were getting into a little bit um just my own personal experience working with conceptual artists is normally that they're off somewhere and then they send you things to look at but you were there with him in his home like how many hours a day would you be together we'd be there probably seven eight hours and stuff and then he'd go off and paint and um he painted in this in his bedroom and it was like this small little room that was all painted (laughs) black and all the curtains were drawn and and he sat there with an airbrush and i i knew this guy was probably not going to be around terribly long because just you know he'd be sitting there breathing with no mask uh, yeah and, and then know. sleeping there yeah so later. yeah it was just not a good thing Unbelievable. Wow. i kept trying to talk him out of it i said Giger, you got to get some air in yeah <laughs> he liked to just be called giger by the way he didn't want to be called hans or 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 hair giger or anything like that no. and what kind of cachet because obviously alien was huge um what kind of cachet did have him being involved with the project have for you? Well, f- uh, f- of course, for me personally, it was huge. And I think that uh, it certainly brought a lot of, uh, um, you know, interest in the film, I think, initially. Um, and we just weren't able to actually get it made. But I think part of it, too, was the fact that Giger's stuff, if you look at his paintings, you know, there's a lot of, like, penises and vaginas and all kinds of stuff that's probably completely inappropriate. And... Uh, I think the studios were afraid of that, and they were probably afraid that I was probably going to put some of that in the movie, which I might have. But because <laughs> <laughs> he had like he had bad luck because I think he was just finishing Poltergeist two, and he designed all these creatures and he designed designs. the thing that he barfs up the worm, the tequila yeah. worm, and unfortunately the special. For Alien, they flew him in, and he pretty much sculpted everything himself. He constructed everything for Alien. That's why it looks so good. Poltergeist 2, they had other effects artists working off of his sketches, and they just couldn't bring yeah, it to life. lost in translation, I'm so, sure. Yeah, so it is a shame that, like, between, like, Poltergeist 2 and now Dead Star, and, like, he had, like, a... A bad, like, not a very good history of getting his designs on screen besides Alien, which is a shame. Well, what's interesting is uh, Giger actually told me that he thought that Alien was not anywhere near what he wanted. Yeah. yeah he, he thought, and I kept telling him, you know, if we made this, I wanted to, like, build this stuff full scale. I wanted, like, sets that were, like, you know, 40 feet high and, you know, 150 feet across or something like that, you know. But um, it would have been amazing, especially with that devil design. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. And so you work with him, and then kind of how far did you really make it in into this becoming a film? Well, we were close. I mean, you know, we, we actually had an office set up there at the, at the uh, at, uh, Imperial Entertainment. We had an art director, and we had hired some people, and, of course, we you know had Giger on board, so it was... Uh, yeah, it was definitely, uh, you know, going to happen, and then for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know that that uh, uh, Sunil Shaw and those guys were able to bring that kind of money to the yeah. to the table for that. So, uh, Was there ever any discussion of scaling it back, trying to lessen no. the scope of the film just to get it made? No, I, th- I think that at that point, then they just were on to other things, at, you, know, at that, you know, at that juncture, so... 
And what happened is also uh, uh, the script had gone out and had gone to so many people and had been read by so many people that uh, things started getting knocked off. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of stuff that uh, that got lifted from the script, you know, and uh, uh, I don't want to mention any films, but, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Event Horizon. <laughs> no. I mean, I was going to say, just the listening to the plot description, I was like, I mean, that is Event Horizon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, that must have been heartbreaking to see. Yeah, it was. It was. It was very heartbreaking for that to happen. And so, so how did you find out, like, that you were no longer a part of Dead Star? Well, as things go in Hollywood, nobody actually ever says no to you. They just you just sort of fade out. They start calling, you know, returning your phone calls, and you just go. And so, suddenly, you go to the office and it's locked. <laughs> you know, it's like it's that. Kind well, of like, thing. what year was this that it kind of finally uh, had I, its last whimper for you? Um, I can't say exactly. I, I'm guessing it was probably somewhere around like 1992 or okay. some, somewhere around there. You know. Gotcha. And then it didn't pop back up again until like around 95, I believe. Yeah. And, and I was starting to get a, a, a lot of heat because I'd done a, a Tales from the Crypt episode, which everyone was thrilled about, um, the studio in any case. And, uh, and Do you want to say which episode? It, well, was? it was called Only Skin Deep. It was uh, with um, uh, uh, um, Peter Onorati was the star. And and uh, Sherry Rose, who did an amazing job, and that came out, and it was part of a ho- they d- used it as part of a Halloween special, and, and God bless him, Bob Zemeckis was going around town saying it was the best crypt ever shot, you know. <laughs> so God bless him, you know. Um, and because of that, suddenly I had a lot of heat, and things that I'd been do- had done in the past suddenly were selling. I was selling all my old scripts. So. <laughs> oh, right on. Yeah. And had you like? Dead Star had been sold, though. That was right. just already out into the right. world. Right. But, of course, I get residuals. And, yeah. And, and there was a payment due because they had actually, all they had ever done was bought the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the rights to, to produce it. And once it got produced, then I was due a payment. So it was. And then how yeah. did you first hear of it when it became Supernova, like when it came back around? Um, I think it was because I got a check. And it said oh, yeah. Super, Supernova. And I went, What's that? I remember writing a movie called Supernova. <laughs> oh man! And did you follow the progress of the madness of that production? To, to some degree, I did. I was I was really at that point very busy on my own stuff. So, uh, you know, it was sort of a, a sort of side note. But I was sort of sad that I would never able was ever, never able to actually make the movie. So. And how how does that information come to you? Is it just thing you're hearing like hearsay from friends in the industry? Oh, yeah, or, friends yeah. call you up and say, "Oh, do you know, so, you know <laughs> uh, they fired the director," and you know, and just judging from what happened, I'm glad I wasn't involved in that mess. So. Oh, it's an amazing yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Steve, you want to talk a little bit about <laughs> yeah, the nightmare can... that was Supernova? Yeah, I guess. Well, what, what's crazy about it is that all of a sudden. The, the budget doubled to twenty million, and uh, the studio brought in the Rampa Stomper director Greg uh, Jeffrey Wright to do it. And after a while, I mean, uh, story says that he wanted to shoot the entire movie in zero gravity, and they <laughs> fired him. And then they hired Walter Hill, and he wanted the movie to be a PG thirteen movie and not an R movie. And then all of a sudden, in the 11th hour, Hill threw out all designs that Wright did, and they had to rebuild everything, which boosted the budget to $60 million, which is crazy. And then 
as you know, then they went through the whole Walter Hill shoot. They even they created a creature. You can see it in one of the Fangoria issues, and it's not even in the movie. They just that Peter Fascinelli's character yes, changes they, into. Yeah, they completely like removed it, and then after they finished shooting it with Walter Hill, they spent fourteen weeks in the editing room, and there was a really bad test screening, and they brought in Jack Shoulder. To super to director supervise the hidden yes the director of the hidden and Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two there you go <laughs> and then his version his recut was disastrous with test audiences and then they brought in Fan- Francis Ford Coppola to save it and next thing you know it what started off your budget was around seven million it it, it skyrocketed into a ninety million dollar film and it debuted at eighth place with $5 million opening weekends. And so altogether across 14 million. So it was plus yeah. the, uh, three ninety nine I just gave it on iTunes. <laughs> you watched well, I'd been, all this talk about it. I was just like, man, I barely even remember that movie other than I, my main memory of it was that it really wanted to be super sexy, mm. uh, and was not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, <laughs> I remember that too. One of the cool things that happened, though, at that time was I've got I got a note at, sort of after the fact after the movie came out from um, Coppola saying that it was very nice. He sent me he sent me a little note saying that he wished they'd gone back to the original screenplay and made the original movie. So seriously, they should. Have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after seeing Supernova, and then uh, my favorite is that Hill, Walter Hill couldn't take the Alan Smithy. He had to use Thomas Lee because. Um, Esther House's movie Burn Hollywood Burn came out and they used the name Alan Smithy in the title so that kind of hurt the Alan Smithy <laughs> I think they retired Alan yeah, <laughs> so. Alan's no longer working <laughs> yeah, so Supernova has a very interesting Alan Smithy credit well, it's, and the fact that it did end up getting made sort of made in quotes I do think it serves as a great representation of the crazy process a movie can go through because there's really other than the fact that they're in space and there's like a distress signal and they pick up a guy right uh that's it that seems like this is the only similarities there's none of this machine doorway to hell there's no (laughs) space satan yeah none of that yeah it's a shame and especially when they use the machine and i remember i read your screenplay years ago i remember when they put on the machine it would there's all these interesting things that would happen like well, um, there were the shadow bats. and the, Yes, and all the shadow yeah, bats had different yeah. faces. Yeah. And, oh, man, it, it is. I mean, you can find his, uh, Mr. Malone's script online if you look it up, and I do recommend checking it out. It's uh, great science fiction to read, and it's and you really can see it. And it, if it, it it's, it's really sad it wasn't made when it was because we really didn't have anything like that at the time. You know, it was so dark and it was its own thing, you yeah. know? It was nothing like anything else around that time. That's that's the the heartbreaking thing about it. Yeah. Um and I know you know don't want to get into kind of sour grapes of it all with things like Event Horizon because that's also just kind of showbiz. <laughs> but then you also look at like John Carpenter who successfully sued Luke Besson for what was his that guy oh, Pierce the Space Jail movie. Yeah, which I remember when I saw it, I was like, eh, this is kind of seems like a riff on <laughs> Escape from New York, but not so much so that I thought you could get sued over it, but John Carpenter won. Yeah. Um, are you ever tempted in a situation mm. like that? To... I'm, I'm really not. You know, to, for me, life is too short to sue people. Yeah. You know, it's like, a, a, it's, it's, and that's, 
I've had so many stuff, so many things that have been knocked off, you know, over the years. It's just like you kind of just go, yeah, whatever. So it's I'm very cautious now. Like I, I just won't send anything out, you know, unless it's like unless I've got a pretty good notion that they're going to make it. Then I, yeah, and then I tell them you don't send this anywhere, don't hand it to anybody, don't give it to anybody. <laughs> Have you yourself tried to farm any of the ideas from that for other things you've worked on? I, I think I lifted uh, uh, just some vague imagery for the end of House on Haunted Hill from oh. Giger, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Can you say what in particular? Well, the, the sort of, um, the, this ghostly character that um, uh, um, uh, uh, Evelyn shows up as at the end of the film, uh, you know, Famke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll have to keep an eye for that. I, I take part in a monthly horror <laughs> trivia game, and I just won the new Blu-ray yeah, of right. that, and I haven't seen it since the theater. So, oh yeah, great opening to that movie, by yes. the way, House <laughs> on Haunted Hill. It's like one of my favorites. Oh, it's, thank you. It's phenomenal. And uh, so now that's something I actually should do something about. Is I wrote half that screenplay, and I didn't get credit for it. So, oh. you know, <laughs> and at the time, I thought, you know, I could have gone to the Writers Guild and done a whole thing, and I thought, yeah. Wasn't worth doing, but but yeah, actually, I would like to just get the credit, you know, just the credit for it because I wrote half. The, like basically, what happened is Dick Beebe wrote a lot of the character stuff, and I wrote pretty much all the scare scenes, you know, all of that stuff. And I I wrote the whole whole opening sequence with the the uh, roller coaster and all that stuff. Oh and, man, that's so know. good. <laughs> oh, thank you. So. How about, um, yeah, so let's touch for a second on, there was another project that you had, you were working with Giger as well, titled The Mirror. Yeah, I had two projects with Giger. And of course, The Mirror was actually predated that. And uh, that was a picture I was actually trying to get off the ground in the mid-'80s. And um, um, it was, uh, basically, it was a mirror that would uh, take you to another dimension that was filled with machines, and it was all... H.R. Giger land, you know, the whole thing. And that was to be a really big, you know, big budget film. And to this day, I think it's really one of my best scripts. And I think that that it would be, I think that film would still do amazing business if it got made. So, And on that one, so, because it was before um, Dead Star, and did you just write this whole script with kind of the idea that when you would tell people about it, you'd be like, yeah, it's like this guy's artwork. Or who'd you oh, reach I always, out present, to, I always, always presented it with But you Giger's hadn't reached out, out to... Uh, not early, but, Giger, but, yeah. but no, no. Not, not right away. But, uh, but then when I started getting some interest in, again, uh, actually, um, uh, Orion was going to make that film. And, and that's when I reached, reached out to Giger and then we were going to have him be involved and so forth. And he actually sent me some sketches. I think it, in a book someplace, there's this one of his sketches where he had a, he made a triangular mirror that was going to be the portal to the other dimension. So Yeah, because you quoted one saying, it's Alice through the looking glass meets H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say, if you could walk us through a little bit more of the story as much as you can remember it. Well, the story uh, uh, it basically is about um, archaeological dig and uh, these guys find an ancient mirror that's buried. Uh, and um, one of the guys, during the, d- during the dig while everyone else is out somewhere else, gets sucked into the mirror. And he gets, he gets spewed back out as this biomechanoid, half machine, half, uh, half human. And, um, and he's on a mission to find a female to pull into the mirror world because what's happened is this is another dimension where um, 
uh, it's an ancient dimension of machines that were created by people like us, except that what's happened is that over, over time, the machines have taken over, just like what's going to happen to us in probably a couple hundred years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the machines took over and basically uh, killed off all living things, except there's just like the sort of organic sludge lying around in that world. And for eons and eons, uh, they sort of became more and more corrupt and and uh, uh, unsure of what they're, Im they're what they were supposed to be doing. And they morphed into these just giant machines. They no longer were like, you know, like robots, like we think of robots. They were just giant steel machines that did things, you know, and we don't even know what they were doing. Whatever it was, it was bad, mm -hmm. you know. And so they finally... They're, they're, they sent, came to the notion that what they needed to do was find a, a, a human male and human female to start repopulating their world. And of course, they were going to tweak with them, you know. So, <laughs> so, uh, um, so eons ago, like you know, I think it was like ten thousand years ago, they they got a male sample. And for them, it's only a blink of the eye because they're they're in this time frame that that every time you go through the mirror, you can come out at any time in past, future history, whatever. And uh, uh, so they s set this guy out to, f to bring a woman into the other world. And there's some sort of specifications genetically what she's got to be like. And of course, the mirror winds up getting stolen and winds up in an antique store. And this girl buys the mirror, taking it home. And, and when she touches it, there's like this little um, Fill, uh, a head form on the top, and it takes on her face. So we know that it's, it's she's the one's chosen. Yeah. So uh, the and the rest of the movie is is that, but but I always like the ending of the movie because the ending of has got this sort of time thing where you, the entire movie may not have even happened. You know, because you everything just spins around and you just go, what what, what, what was that? <laughs> so when so. they're when they're in like the mirror dimension, it's so it's all designed by Giger. Yeah. It was all what I wanted to basically do is take all those images from the, his book, The Necronomicon, and just build them full scale and, you know, n no CG, just build it, you know. Oh wow! <laughs> and it, it was it was going to be awesome, and and Giger was definitely on board, and you know, um, you know, later in my relationship with Giger, I sort of stopped talking to him only because I felt so bad that I had done like two projects with him and nothing had come of them, you know, and I actually sent, sent him a note apologizing to him, but, you know, there's really not much you can do. Was he able, though, to repurpose any of the artwork he'd done? Like, would he release that in collections? Yeah, I mean, what I had done, I I'd bought the rights to his artwork in re regards to the mirror, which is, I think, probably eight or nine of his best images and I, which I still have the rights to it you know to use those for for you know a feature film you know so uh you know maybe someday somebody will make it <laughs> oh, that would be awesome and how far i mean did that just kind of only stay as a pitch it never really uh well i'm yeah i mean it didn't get as far as as um uh you know, Dead Star did yeah i mean we were we came close like i said uh, orion was going to make it you know um uh, Mike Metavoy, who was a great guy over there, who really he was a sort of the the guy who was the good thinker over there. I mean, he really was you know um, sympathetic to horror and 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 knew knew what this was going to be. So he was he was a champion of it. But right at what happened, I, we've always had bad luck with this. Like just as we were about to make it, Orion went under and got sold. <laughs> you know, and of course that's your, any project you have that's you know in this 
And now they're back, though, right? They're still using, and they're using their old Are they? I don't know. title card oh, again, I guess, because they figured people had nostalgia for it. Yeah. Probably someone just bought it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, I, I heard about it, but I haven't seen much. But um, did you have a crew attached? Like I, I saw that you had. Um... There was yeah, we had we did have a crew. We had some people, um, uh, uh, Doug Beswick who'd worked on Star Wars, and and we had some and the the Skotek brothers who later you know I'd, I'd worked with on um, Creature, and uh, the next film they did off that was Aliens, uh, and then uh, they were going to be on on board doing the stuff, and of course I I hired them then when. I did House on Haunted Hill to do the the roller coaster stuff and some of the other the house getting all crazy. Oh man! So and this kind of goes for both Mirror and Dead Star. Uh, like, what were kind of the fantasy casts in your mind at the time, if you can even recall? Oh gosh, I don't know if I remember. I do. I do remember. I wanted David Warner to be the guy who got sucked into the mirror, yeah. you know, and came <laughs> back because he just and again. Uh, Fortunately, I was able to work with him on um, a TV show. And I, I worked uh, did a thing called um, uh, The Exile, which was part of a, uh, it was the spinoff of uh, Tales from the Crypt, Perversions of Science. Yeah. Yeah. And I had like a dream cast. I got like uh, um, Jeffrey Combs and David Warner and uh, um, Ron Perlman. Wow. So, wow. And, a... and I had Jeff Corey. I don't know if you know who Jeff Corey is. Jeff Corey... First of all, he was a, a great actor, but he was in um, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. He was one of the guys who breaks into the crypt. What? Yeah. <laughs> and he was on uh, one of the original Outer Limits shows. He played like uh, Mr. Lomax, you know, the guy with the weird glasses. And, and he was stuff. still acting at this he, point. He was, well, I hired him sight unseen, which <laughs> you should never do. <laughs> and he came in. He was a billion years old when he came in. He, he, he bless his heart. He was having trouble reading the lines. I said, I said, you're a judge. Just read it off the, off the pages, because you're a judge. Just giving a litany of charges. So he was fine, but he was great. I, I, I'm so glad that he actually came on board. So oh, that's good. So you got to work with some really cool people. Cause you got did. to work with Klaus Kinski on uh, Creature. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Klaus. <laughs> you talking about Giger? I was like, wow. I mean. I wonder who was easy to work with. Oh, Giger is great. Yeah. I want to say Giger, he was a great guy. He was very soft-spoken. It was a really good guy to get along with and uh, was very enthusiastic about doing, you know, anything. And, and uh, uh, But, you know, Klaus Kinski, of course, was another matter, you know. <laughs> He's probably the worst actor ever to, to work with. You know, I don't think That's there's what I've heard. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's anybody can, you know. And that was my second movie. And I always think it was, I was kind of a blessing in disguise because, you know, my second movie, I'm stuck with Klaus Kinski. <laughs> and after that, there was never an actor could give me any grief. No, yeah. That's <laughs> how yeah. so I feel being from Minnesota. I'm like, well, I grew up there. I'm never going to be cold right, anywhere exactly. else I go. Um, and what about Dead Star Dreamcast? Do you remember any of that? You know, I, actually, I, I don't really recall. It's been so long. I don't really recall who we had on our list of, of people. But, uh, um, you know, certainly it would have been of a similar ilk. You know, I, I really liked, you know, people who were in sort of, you know, the, the Peter Cushing, uh, you know, kind yeah. of cast where you have people who are like uh, really interesting and, and do a good job no matter what. What if you made the movies now? Is that ever something you think about? Well, yeah, I'd love to make the still make it, you know. But uh, you know, the thing is that um, 
movies get made for reasons that still elude me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the common phrase is shoot, shoot the film, not the deal. But unfortunately, <laughs> mostly it's shooting the deal these days. And um, the only reason that I made House on Haunted Hill was because of Bob Zemeckis. You know, Bob Zemeckis, you know, like I said, was going around saying that this is the best crypt episode. And of course, then suddenly I was, I, I had, you know, had the blessing of the Pope. And, and that's that's the way movies get made, so... Was that a Dark Castle? It was Dark Castle. That was actually a first Dark oh, Castle what? film. Yeah, that was the one they set up the whole thing on. And um, the producers had uh, worked out a deal with um, uh, Terry Castle, who was uh, uh, Bill Castle's Castle. wi- uh, yeah. uh, daughter. And, um, you know, so they were going to produce all of their all the Bill Castle movies. So House on Haunted Hill. I got a call, and they said, do you want to develop House on Haunted Hill for... Uh, for um, Warner Brothers, I said, absolutely. I said, <laughs> yeah. I said, besides, I've been wanting to make a ghost movie because I, I had this feeling that ghost movies were going to come back really big, you know, and, uh, and, they, and, did. They, and they did. <laughs> so, was there any other uh, projects that you weren't able to get off the ground? Like, oh, gosh, there's just too many of them to name. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, even narrowing that down. Oh, yeah. Then, but I had another noteworthy. one called Phoenix Dust, which was uh, sort of a kick-ass babe in the future. It was a little... Bar- Sort of like a, a a tougher Barbarella kind yeah. of character, you know, and and uh, did a lot of designs for that and got it, you know. In fact, I still have a book. Of, Who did the designs for that? Um, well, I did some of them, and uh, Bob Short. I don't know if you know Bob Short. He's the effects guy. Did uh, Splash and won the Academy Award for that. He 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 worked on it. He also worked on the script with me, and then um, uh, and then a guy named Igor and I. Sorry, I can't remember his last name. Was the yeah? I know, perfect. Yeah, it? It was a French artist and did an amazing bunch of artwork for us, and it was great. So it's really a fully designed, ready to go movie, you know, and it, mm. it's a lot of fun. It's just a when lot was of fun. this? Oh, this was. Uh, um, I pitched it up until probably like a couple year, few years ago, four or five years ago. So oh, you know. Wow. Yeah, because I, I guess because people just don't realize like how much work it goes into making a film, and but not only that, but you spend so much time working on a film and it never gets made. It's just oh, ninety percent of my career has been in development. I mean, you know, uh, making the actual making a film is a very small part of you know. I've been actually working solid, you know, since nineteen eighty, but you know, you don't know because most of the stuff didn't get made. I was I was. Uh, at Hemlock, we used to call it Hemlock, Hemdale, for <laughs> for five years in development there. Five years of you know, uh, uh, you know them saying you know uh, you're going to make this film or develop this and and uh, you know so that's what happens. Bob mm-hmm. uh, uh, John Daly was a great guy, but a sociopath. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say uh, putting things through the little what if machine if. You got the chance to make Dead Star now. Yeah. Like, who do you think you would want to get involved with it? Cast or crew, just anything that pops into your mind? Well, I mean, first of all, I think I'm still a big fan of practical effects, you know, so I would want to do it more practical. I would get guys like, um, you know, the Skotex and and Gene Warren, and, you know, who's great, and, uh, uh, you know, more the technical people really than I mean cast is always one of those things the tail wags the dog yeah you know as you know in the film business and uh, 
I don't even bother thinking about cast anymore. I don't. Cause, <laughs> you're you know, just waiting to see. Yeah, they're the going to say, well, like, this is who you're using. Yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> we, you wind up usually casting the secondary roles. You know, I can, I can bring Jeff Combs in. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, and God bless him. He should, he's such a good actor. So, oh, but yeah. yeah. Huge fan. <laughs> and then, uh, did you, did you come up with, I also read that um, you had something to do with Universal Soldier 2, like it almost started off with a concept of yours. Oh, well, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that, that's a tragic story. Oh, uh, it, it's okay. I, I wrote a script called Vox, which was about the first thinking computer. and um, Like VOX? Yeah, VOX, like the guitar amp. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and it was really about the first thinking computer, and, and the basic premise was, uh, that uh, uh, this guy is working at a big think tank and he creates the first thinking computer and he can't literally get it to, to tick over. He's like, it's just like that far away from actually becoming sentient. You just can't make it happen. And he goes home one night and some hacker breaks into the place and, you know, hacking it and and uh, causes the thing to kick over. And the first thing the thing does, start looking up, uh, the computer starts looking up how we treat machines, you know, and it starts, and things that we create, and it starts pulling up stuff from, uh, from Frankenstein, you know, the doctor, you know, killing Frankenstein, and then there was a, uh, you know, the last one, the last shot is a computer screen going, is this the end of Rico, you know, <laughs> and uh, so it has this prototype shop and starts machining a body for itself, redesigns its own brain, sticks it in the, in the body and walks out of the place with a, a hit list of things to, to <laughs> people to take out. Oh, and uh, it, it was a really cool script. And there was no place for Jean-Claude Van Damme and not anything against Van Damme, but that's not, was not anything like what the movie was. I think there's maybe one line of dialogue in that entire script that has anything to do with me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So they bought, so they bought it and then they, tra- they turned it they into They bought it for my name. And that was it, because they knew they could get the movie made at that time based upon my involvement. But the but the guy who made it, you know, he just went off and I guess had some uh, arrangement with Jean Claude Van Damme and turned it into some kind of action movie, which had nothing to do. And I still still get it. what's gr- what's terrible is people come to me. Didn't you write the uh, Universal <laughs> Soldier part? <laughs> and I said, No, I did not. <laughs> oh man, you know. <laughs> Wacky business, yeah. This show business, yeah. I don't mind getting grief for things I've done, yeah. You know, but don't give me grief for stuff I have no responsibility for. There's uh, some honor in getting blamed for your own, yeah. Um, you know, you, wanna, you, you, you hate the ending of House on Haunted Hill, fine. Yeah. Okay, you know, you hate, uh, you know, Parasomni, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> well, one more. You had another one called Deadly Images. That... Well, that was actually the mirror. That was the mirror. That was just a different oh. title. We went through a number of titles at the time, you know, come, trying to come up with a title for it. So that was just that was the same film. And is the mirror still something you are in control of? Yes, yes, I still have the rights to it. And uh, and like I say, it's you know, uh, if somebody came up with uh, you know, thirty forty million dollars, yeah. I'd go make it. Are you listening, Netflix? <laughs> yes. <Yeah, laughs> yeah, you own the rights to all the works, yeah. Yeah. all the drawings, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I think that brings us maybe to the end of our little journey here. Well, I want to thank you guys for, you know, having me on and, and uh, you know, 
having me dance through these old <laughs> dusty files. Bring up these <laughs> painful memories. No, no, no. I, we appreciate you because like I, I was telling you, like Dead Star was, I read about it in Cinefantastique and it never left my brain. And <laughs> and as I was telling you, when I went to shoot uh, Giger for Jodorowsky's Dune, it was the thing I saw in his museum that just lit me up. It was like my favorite thing in the museum. Yeah. And, and it's hanging there. The, the you know, If you make it to Giger's museum, you will see the, the devil and the full-on shadow bats in all their glory. It's, yeah, it's I've beautiful. Never actually, I've never actually seen that painting in real life, so it's, I should mm-hmm. probably go there and check it out. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. I'll go visit the biker bar while I'm there. <laughs> and what was Giger's uh, address again? <laughs> Number five, Gubernakerstrasse. <laughs> I want right that next to Eichfeld. Yeah, they used to become <laughs> famous. Like, what's Sherlock Holmes' address? Like, 223 <laughs> Baker Street? Or Which something? doesn't exist, by the no. way. <laughs> yeah, I think I went there and it's just like a there's cell a phone store. Yeah, yeah it was a, a statue of yeah. Holmes nearby. Yeah. Um, so if people want to follow you or find you on... I'm, I'm on Facebook, although I'm sort of like, I, I don't go on there terribly often, but I will check in from time to time because uh, I'm you know, developing other stuff and I'm you know, currently going to start making something here some soon. Anything you want to plug or all... Uh, I'll plug it later. Yeah. Because I don't want to put the curse on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. You don't want to come back in a couple of years, yeah. <laughs> rehash that one. All right, well, you can follow Best Movies Never Made by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. New episodes will be available every uh, every other Monday, so subscribe today. And while you're at it, subscribe to our sister podcast, The 430 Movie, in which a panel of filmmakers curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies every Friday, and Inglorious Trexperts, in which a band of expert Trexperts discuss all things Star Trek, available every Sunday night. That was a tongue twister. And finally, with special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Networks for making this show possible. Uh, and if you want to find Steve Scarlata, how do they do that, Steve-O? Oh, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, my full name, Steven Scarlata. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram as Josh S. Miller. I also host a series here in Los Angeles called Friday Night Frights. That's uh, We show horror movies in movie theaters, usually on film all year round. And that is Friday Night Frights LA on Instagram, um, also on Facebook as well. But until next time, we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.